Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE is a catalyst for change in the engineering industry, and one of the biggest ways we inspire that change is through our annual SWE Conference for Women Engineers and Technologists. This year's conference, WE21 in Indianapolis, Indiana, will help attendees at all ages and stages learn, connect, and grow. Join us for three days of networking and relationship building, over 250 professional development sessions, three inspirational keynotes, and a career fair featuring more than 300 exhibitors. Let's aspire to inspire at WE21, October 21st through the 23rd. Head to we21.swe.org for more info and to register. Hi, I'm Rachel Morford, President of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Today I'm joined by Stephanie C. Hill, who is an Executive Vice President of Rotary and Mission Systems, or RMS, for Lockheed Martin Corporation. The RMS portfolio features more than 1,000 programs and employs more than 34,000 people around the world. And it's very important to note that Stephanie will be the keynote speaker at WE21 this October in Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us today, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. I'm really looking forward to the SWE conference this year. It's going to be exciting to be in person. I know we get to do this virtual recording, but very excited to shake your hand in, in India yes. this fall. It will be so exciting to be in person and see people and get to talk to people live. Absolutely. I have a few questions for our conversation today. I'm very excited to talk with you. You started your career in computer engineering. Mm -hmm. How do you think that prepared you for where you are today? Well, you know, I call myself an accidental engineer. And so when you ask the question, how did my started my career in computer engineering, or I was a computer science major at UMBC and graduated with that degree. It really has everything to do with where I am today. Growing up, Rachel, I didn't know any engineers. I had never met an engineer. I didn't know what an engineer did. STEM wasn't even an acronym way, way back then. I knew a lot of professionals. I had a wonderful family, loving parents who spoke into me that there was, if I put my mind to it and worked hard and treated people well, there was nothing I couldn't do, but there were no engineers around me. And so choosing to be an engineer, taking a, a course in what was then COBOL, my first uh, software engineering course, falling in love with it and deciding to pursue a career in engineering was really pivotal. And I started my career with Lockheed Martin, who was then Martin Marietta, as a software test engineer. And I moved through many engineering roles. So I was a software developer, and then I went on to do, be a systems engineering lead, and then I went on to be an integrated product team lead, where I was responsible for delivering full capability to the U.S. Navy for a system, and I had what I'll call a control account management or cost management scope. And then I moved into PM roles, program management roles, and customer-facing roles, and functional leadership roles. And I'll tell you that in a technology company like Lockheed Martin, Starting as an engineer and having that background in, um, in computer science and engineering was really foundational and key for my growth because it helped me to understand basically the lifeblood 
of the organization. So that as I moved into more senior profit and loss roles, like I have today, it really was, if I hadn't done it, I'm not sure that I would be where I am today. Now, that's not saying that there are not other paths to this kind of role. There are. But for me, it was key. The other thing I'll say, starting on UMBC's campus, UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, is one of the most diverse college campuses around. And it gave me an incredible education. But what it also gave me was tremendous exposure to all kinds of cultures and ethnicities and different points of view that really early on gave me so many opportunities to engage and really appreciate the importance of different points of view. And I'll tell you, we have a global business. I've got people all over the globe, all over the world. And as a leader, it's really important to understand that we've got to let all voices be heard and understand how to be inclusive. And I was fortunate enough, Rachel, to get that early on. Yeah, that sounds like an incredible experience and really representative of the world that we live in. And one of the things that you said really struck me, the not knowing and seeing engineers around you as you grew up. That's something that obviously SWE is very passionate about with our outreach events and providing those role models of what does an engineer do on a daily basis. So that's why I love SWE because, you know, there's a saying that says, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so SWE affords women from all backgrounds to see it so they know they can be it. And that is really powerful work you're doing. Absolutely. I also understand that you had a double major in economics. I did. I did. So it was interesting. I told you I didn't know an engineer's growing up. My father was a judge. My mother was a kindergarten teacher. And so we knew a lot of people who had professional roles. And I was really, really good at math growing up. And so I said, I went through all the jobs I could possibly do. And I said, I'll be an accountant. This will be great. I'll, I'll be an accountant. And so I, UMBC, I knew I wanted to go to UMBC. They had an economics degree where you got a certificate in accounting. And my plan was to become a certified public accountant. I knew accountants. And so I knew that accountants had to be good at math. So this is going to be good for me. And so I started my career there. And I started my college career there. And then I took that class I told you about in COBOL and got that engineering bug and it totally changed course. But I will tell you that my education in economics has been very beneficial for me from a business acumen perspective and understanding the market and understanding the, the budget environment and all of that has really helped me as I've taken on more senior roles in the corporation, particularly in the profit and loss responsibility areas. And I'll tell you, one of the things that was key to me as I started in economics and ended up, as you said, I I graduated with a double major in computer science and economics. But as I started down the road of economics, taking that computer science course was really getting out of my comfort zone. And Rachel, I have found that certainly in my college experience, if I hadn't gotten out of my comfort zone, I'm not sure I would have found this incredible opportunity and this incredible career in engineering where you get to make such a difference for the good of the world. I mean, I know it sounds lofty, but I'm telling you, I really feel blessed that that's what our teams at Lockheed Martin get to do every day. And I've learned getting out of your comfort zone throughout my career has helped me so much. I mean, there I've had so many different roles and some of those roles, Rachel, I didn't know that I was ready for. I didn't think I was ready for 
And a leader would say, Stephanie, this is the next role we think you you should take. And I can remember a couple of times where I'll just give you two examples. One of them, I said, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm not prepared for that. And my leader said, you're the best person for the job. And so that's the role you're going to take. And how powerful was that for someone else, my leader, to see something in me that I didn't see in myself? And I think often my experience is, as I talk to a lot of the, my mentees and colleagues, is that for women in particular, we will wait until we can check every single box on a job description or career opportunity to feel that we're ready. And here I had this person saying to me, my leader saying to me, no, you can do this. You're the right person. I did it. And it, my goodness, it was, I grew so much. I learned so much. And it was a fantastic experience that prepared me for some of the other opportunities where I got out of my comfort zone. Those were the times that I grew the most. So from college days, all the way to my professional experience, just being able to step out a little bit has really enriched me, really enriched my life. I think there's some really great lessons in what you just described. And as you were talking through those examples, I was remembering another growth begins at the edge of your comfort zone. And that's one that I know I've certainly embraced in my career, Stephanie, and it sounds like you really have as well. And then the importance of having mentors and leaders who really can push you to that, the edge of your comfort zone and into the next step. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. So that's really the mentors in that, in those circumstances are really important, Rachel, because I, when I share when I've shared before about getting out of your comfort zones, often I'll get a question around, well, how, how do you know when it's really okay to get out of your comfort zone and you're not going too far? And I like to say it's really important to get out of your comfort zone, but it's also important to have somebody to whom you can turn to ask that question, whatever that happens to be, whether it's something that you think you should know already, whether you think other people think you should know, it's really important to have a trusted network of people to be able to ask questions of to help you to make sure that you're successful. Absolutely. That community of advisors or personal board of directors, I've heard it called. I'm sure that our listeners would like to know what someone at your level does day to day. Can you describe (laughs) your an average day? I know there probably is no average day, but I have to tell you (laughs) what your days and weeks look like. I have to tell you, there is there is no day that is the same as the as another day. But I will also tell you, I absolutely love what I do. I have we work really hard. We have great team relationships in our business. And you think about it, I, as you said, I run a business at $16 billion and over 34,000 people all around the world. And so when I think about what I do day to day, it differs, but fundamentally what I think my role is, is, and I think this is the role of leadership, the most important role of leadership period is to create the right environment where your team can prosper professionally, where your team can make sure they are meeting the commitments of their customers or constituents. In my case, it's the customers and where we can execute our strategy. So I have the distinct privilege of doing what I like to do most. I love people. I absolutely love people. And part of the biggest part of my job is 
meeting with members of our workforce, talking to our customer set. And I'll unpack that a little bit, Rachel. I, I meet with our customers a lot. I meet with our customers so I can make sure that, number one, we're building those good relationships, but also so that I can understand what their most pressing needs are. What gaps do they have? How can we help them to deliver capability? And our, as, let me give you a little bit more background. So in Rotary Emission Systems, it's that large enterprise with a thousand programs, including helicopters, integrated air and missile defense, undersea warfare, radar, cyber solutions, training, logistics, combat systems. We do a lot. And we do it for the U.S. and we do it all around the world. So talking to customers and understanding how we can better deliver capability to help them in their incredibly important mission of maintaining our freedom and keeping us safe is really important. So when I talk to our customers and I hear what they are most focused on, I get feedback from them about what they want more from us or what we could do better or differently. And then I get to come back into the Lockheed Martin family and talk with our amazingly talented workforce and hear from them about their ideas, share what I've learned from the customer, help, that, that helps to inform our investment, helps to inform our strategy, helps to inform the workforce of what they ought to be focused on, and then to listen to our workforce and hear their ideas on how we can do things better for our customers, better for our teams how we can work to make sure our environment is as inclusive as it can be so that everybody can come and bring their full and best selves and just get that work done. Where So innovation is just streaming. That's exciting for me. And that's really what I get to do. But let me just tell you that when I opened with to this question, that setting the environment, creating that right environment is the most important job as a leader. I spend a lot of time with leadership principles that I have learned, I'll say, and, and sort of codified over my over 30-year career. And those leadership principles are trust, transparency, collaboration, and engagement. And I have found that as a leader, if you really work to cultivate those principles in your organization, there's almost nothing you can't achieve. Those sound like fantastic leadership principles to for, for many of our listeners to really take to heart and to live through their own careers as well. I think it, you called them leadership principles, but I imagine they're applicable to every level of an engineering career. So thank you for sharing those. Absolutely. Now, you know, leadership can happen no matter what your role is. So whether you are an individual contributor or whether you have an official leadership position, people lead. Definitely. One thing that in your career that really stands out to me is that you led the corporation's digital transformation and enterprise information technology teams. What era was that? And what sort of technology transformations did you lead the company through? Yeah, that was such an exciting opportunity, Rachel. And that when you asked me the era, that was in 2019. Our Lockheed Martin Corporation has been on a transformation journey for many, many years. When you're looking at the attributes of the fourth industrial revolution, think about artificial intelligence, machine learning, additive manufacturing, cyber art, all of those kinds of things. And we had been on this transformational journey for many, many years. And our CEO at the time, Marilyn Hewson, said, you know what, I want us to look at our transformation journey as an enterprise business transformation. So we're looking at all of the 
my role when she created that office, look at all of the enabling technology for the company that we were in the midst of implementing those, some that we had not implemented, but take it beyond that. It's not, trans, true business transformation is not just about technology. It's about process. It's about how we do things. How can we deliver capability to our customers more quickly with higher quality at lower cost? And in order to do all those things, fundamentally, it's about culture. And do we have the culture that is going to allow us to move as quickly, to adopt new things, to look at, to fundamentally question the paradigm that we might have? You know, we have programs that have uh, been around for 50 years, 60 year programs. And we have some of those programs, many of those programs that are still very relevant today. They're not the same old programs they were 50 or 60 years ago because we've transformed them along with our customer. And so, How do we make sure that our culture is always looking at how we can do things in a better way, how we can really harness the power of virtual, as an example, virtual reality or or augmented reality or artificial intelligence to make our systems more capable for our customers? So it was a a fascinating time. Uh, We did a lot of work across the creating intelligent factories. Uh, implementing a model-based engineering across the business. We like to call it a, if you're looking at some of our helicopter programs, we say we fly before we built. So ordinarily, I mean, so what does that mean? What that means is if you have a digital twin, then you can literally go in and fly test points with that digital twin before you even decide to put a piece of a helicopter together. That's powerful. And it was a great time and the company is doing so well in this area. And as I left that role, very close colleague took over Yvonne Hodge in that role. And she's just doing tremendous things to continue to move the company forward. It sounds like it was a fantastic opportunity for you, Stephanie, to have an influence across far more than your particular business unit as well. I imagine that your efforts were replicated throughout every business unit that Lockheed Martin has. You know, it was so interesting, and you're absolutely right, Rachel. It was fascinating to engage with every part of the company. And there were things we were doing at the enterprise level that were so important to the transformation of the business. And in that role, I went to all of our business areas, all of our functions, because it wasn't just about engineering and operations. It was about what is HR doing to transform digitally and and from a business perspective. It was what is legal doing to transform and each function and program got bitten by that transformation bug. And I got the benefit of hearing what, while we might've been doing some things at the enterprise level, aeronautics was doing this really important, amazing thing on one of their programs that now we could leverage across all of Lockheed Martin to better enable our customers and make our employee experience better and more productive and more empowering. And it was just fantastic. Sounds like a fantastic opportunity and, and one that I'm sure is a feather in your cap. I wanted to talk a little bit about your accomplishments as a woman and as a woman of color. You've received considerable recognition, Network Journal's 2020 Influential Women, Savoy Magazine's Black Enterprises 2019 Most Powerful Women in Corporate America and Computer World's premier 100 IT leaders, just to name a few. 
Why do you think these accomplishments are important for young women out there? I am so grateful and I just feel really blessed to have received the recognition. And I'll tell you what I think it means. Let's go back to what we said earlier about if you can't see it, you can't be it. I think the most important parts of the recognition that these organizations and organizations like SWE and, and organizations like BEA and different PNAC that recognize people, particularly women and people of color, do is they shine this beautiful light on so many people that have accomplished things, that have had an opportunity, that have accomplished things, that have made a difference. And it gives, in particular, our younger women the opportunity to see themselves and to learn about what these women, women of color, people of color have done. And when they see that, and 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 not just what they've done, but how they've done it, because generally when these organizations are recognizing many, many different people, they're telling their stories about how they got there. And and often you can look at someone in a position and you can think, well, they, they, they never had the struggles that I had, or they didn't come from the background that I came from. And what these organizations do is they show every person that you can do this. And they, through telling the story, the people who are honored get to highlight and help to bring more people along. I'll say for people who might be in their careers, not necessarily the students, people who might be in their careers and might think, boy, is this really, is this glass ceiling really there? They can look and say, okay, if they did it, I can do it too. It's a way also for people to be, to reach out and build networks. And so it's, we have such a challenge in our engineering world around getting more women and people of color to be a part of our career and be a part of our field that representation really matters. And the showcase that these organizations do really helps. And mentoring, I talked about, you know, bringing people together at these, just like SWE, I'm sure it happens at SWE and in so many of the other organizations where they're recognizing people, you meet people that you can ask questions of. And often what happens is you begin to build relationships of mentorship. Mentoring has been very important to me. I've had some phenomenal mentors. I still do have phenomenal mentors. I have a phenomenal set of mentees, and I can tell you in those relationships, I learn, I believe in my, when I'm the mentor, I gain as much from them and learn as much from them as they are from me. And I I think all of that is so important to inspiring more people to achieve in this area. I certainly resonate a lot with that, Stephanie. My theme for this year of my sweet presidency is aspire to inspire, and it it certainly is. It certainly is something that's really, I've met so many women who I look up to throughout my career, and and you certainly now fall into that category now that we've met that are people who I aspire to be like and who are inspirational to those around us. So thank you for everything that you've done for bringing people along and, and helping to highlight how everyone can be successful in this career field. Thank you for that. And, but I'll tell you what's true. I'm so grateful, Rachel, that throughout my career, I had people that I could turn to and ask those questions and say, 
you know, at a tough moment, how did you do that? How did you get through it? And the generosity of people being willing to say, well, let me tell you how I did. It might not work exactly the same way for you. And just being able to have that network and that connectivity. And we have to be there for each other. We have to make time to be there for each other. I always think of that as the community that we build around us. And I think organizations like SWE and Nesby and, and SHIP and all of the other organizations that we've we partner with certainly provide that. You're very dedicated to mentoring others. We talked a little bit about this already and how it's a two-way street, which I couldn't agree more with, Stephanie. Can you tell me why mentorship means so much to you? Yeah, I think mentorship means so much to me because there were a number of times, I shared it a little bit earlier about getting out of your comfort zone, where you know, I had people who said to me, no, this is what you need to go do. There were times when I didn't want to do a role because I didn't think it was I just didn't think it was going to be a good role. And having someone kind of talk through why I'm why that was the best role for me and how it might prepare. In this one case, I was taking, I was offered a role in mission success and quality. And before that, I had had roles in engineering and program management. And so I really at that time thought I was getting out of the mainstream. And this wonderful mentor explained to me what I could do in that role. And I took it and it was a, to that point in my career, it was the role that prepared me the most for the one I have. And if I hadn't had that mentorship, I wouldn't have done it. The other thing, my progress might've been thwarted or stymied. And the other thing I'll say is it's been really helpful to me to have mentors when they have watched and I haven't done something right. Having somebody be thoughtful and generous enough to, to give me a call and say, you know, that didn't work out so well for you. And you have to work on that. And you have to improve. And just being able to get the feedback, get the tips, get the value of the experience has enriched my career, my approach. And I'm grateful for that. And so for me, you know, ever since I've been a leader, it's been so important to me to reach as many people as I can through if it's not you know, an official mentoring relationship, you know, people will call and they'll say, I just need to talk through a hard situation. And being able to share what has helped me so much is important. It can be, we used to call it the unwritten rules. It's true for everybody. I have mentees from every aspect of the diversity spectrum that you could, every, you know, everybody across the board. And so I say it enriches me. And I have found that depending upon the circles that you're in, you don't often get the political nuances of how you need to show up. Or you might not understand why someone's getting a great opportunity and you're not getting that even though you're working just as hard and just as, uh, just as well. And so being able to provide a little window into that, into some of those things for people is so important. And then when you see those people that you mentor grow and achieve in their careers, it, you just feel like, yay, this is, this is what I, this is this, as an important part of the job as it is what we deliver every day is to helping that next generation. What I also get, and I said I gain and learn more often from these mentoring relationships where I'm the mentor, I begin to hear some of the challenges that might be in the organization that we need to go address as a leadership team. 
And so I can take that learning, obviously non-attributional because I learned it in a mentoring session, but I can take that learning and bring it back in to make the whole organization better. So mentorship is really, really powerful. I think it ties back to one of the things we talked about earlier that's important to you is that corporate culture and really as a leader developing and building that. Absolutely. It's leader's responsibility is to set that right environment. And it can be more difficult. Well, it is more difficult to really keep a pulse on the organization the more senior you get. I believe it is absolutely possible to do that. You just have to work harder at it. And the biggest piece of doing that is engaging with the people that you're privileged to lead, whether it's through the employee engagements we talked about earlier that are part of my day-to-day activities, or whether it's through these mentoring relationships. You know, sponsorship is, can we talk about sponsorship for a minute? Oh yeah, definitely. The sponsorship is really important too, and they're very different. Mentoring and, and sponsoring are different, and it's important to have both. I would say that those folks in my career who said to me, no, Stephanie, this is the job you need to do when I was feeling uncomfortable about it, they were like sponsors for me. I'm sure they were in a room saying, we think Stephanie could do that job. And we need, we need sponsors in our careers. It is difficult to choose a sponsor. Generally, sponsors choose you. For the, but what I'll say is for the more senior people that are listening to us, Rachel, it's important for us to be sponsors for people in our organization who we see have potential and promise. And we can mentor them too, but it's important for us to be sponsors for them. And for people who are looking for sponsors, it's important for people to understand the value that you're creating in your organization. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that we should become braggadocious and begin to start pounding our chests about all the things we've done. That Nobody likes that. <laughs> That's not a good thing. But it is important at the same time to make sure that people understand how you're contributing to the mission of your organization and the value that you're creating. Because that's when, when people can understand that, that's when somebody can say, oh my goodness, I'm going to sponsor that person and go into that room at that table where we're, there were people are talking about talent development. And they can say, I saw Rachel do this. Do you know what she's doing as a president of SWE? You, don't, you have no idea the things that she's been able to accomplish and she's ready for this next opportunity. So sponsorship is, poor, is important. Mentorship is important. And clearly communicating Clearly and humbly communicating the value that we're creating in our organizations is important so that we can have that sponsorship. I think that's likely one of the important aspects of a mentoring relationship, too, is figuring out how you can effectively and humbly communicate the value that you're bringing, both in your roles in your job and in any external involvements that you're engaged in. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really, really important. And I mean, mentorship, I think, can help every aspect of of your career. And, and for one of the things, as I have mentored women in particular, Rachel, one of the very common things, not the only, I get the full spectrum of questions and situations, but is being a wife and mother. I'm blessed to be wife of 28 years and a mother of three amazing children and a Gigi. I am a Gigi. I'm a grandmother. <laughs> My little girl is 10 months old. And often I will get questions from women. And now a lot of questions from young men who are starting families about 
balance. And so it's, it's, it's a technical mentorship that you get. It's the leadership mentorship. It's the political acumen. And it's also, sometimes it's life mentoring. Full, well-rounded experience with mentors. I really like that concept, Stephanie. I think one of the important things that you also brought up is the ability to get feedback from mentors and having that trusted relationship to get potentially hard feedback or to hear hard things from your mentor. And obviously, constructive criticism is difficult for all of us to hear, but I'm wondering if you had any advice or recommendations if for those of our listeners who are going through getting that feedback and absorbing it right now. I think feedback is critical. We are all people. And as such, we are imperfect and we need to be developed. And if we don't get feedback, if people aren't, if we're not making it comfortable for people to tell us when we need to work on something, we're selling ourselves short. And I can tell you, I have gotten a lot of feedback in my career And when you're getting it, particularly when it's constructive feedback, it is uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. There is a level of anxiety when you know you're going to get it or somebody says, I've got some feedback for you. You know, you you just kind of tense up a little bit because it's uncomfortable. So if that's happening when you're getting feedback, that's not unusual. That's not most people have that experience. What I'd say is that what some people will do is they'll let that anxiety and that discomfort create the environment for whomever's giving you that feedback that you don't really want it. And then it will stop. What it can also do is to close your mind to the validity of that feedback. So we all have blind spots too. We all have things that we do that we don't believe we do. I can remember getting feedback very specifically about something that I just fundamentally disagreed with or getting feedback about something that really I thought was a good thing that I I agreed with the feedback they were giving me, but I thought it was a good thing. And they're saying, no, this is a bad thing in this situation. And over time, I've worked really hard at just taking a deep breath and listening, not interrupting, not defending, not saying, but no, you don't understand. Here's why. And then just taking a little bit of personal time to reflect on it. And there are times when I've said, oh my gosh, they are right. I could have done that better. There are times that I have said they are absolutely wrong. However, that's their perception. And if that's their perception, what can I do to change their experience with Stephanie? So I think it's important to take that time and listen to the feedback because even if it's not true, it's perception. And if it's perception in somebody's head, it's reality for how they experience you. Now, let me just take that, if I can, Rachel, a little bit further. There are a lot of people who don't get feedback. There are a lot of organizations that feedback is not a natural part of that culture. So I think it's really important for us to ask for feedback. And it is hard, is often very hard for leaders to constructively give feedback. So making it easy to give feedback, here's a trick I've learned as I have heard people, mentees from inside of our company and outside of our company say, boy, I'm I'm not getting the kind of feedback I need. When you ask your leader for feedback and they tell you you're doing a phenomenal job, 
and that maybe you should take a training course or so, but you really want to know what you can do. I often say, turn it around and say, in order to get to that next level, in order to be ready for this job over here, what things should I work on? What things could I improve? And what that does is for the leader or for the person who is uncomfortable criticizing is because what that can feel like is criticism, giving that critical feedback that can say, oh, they're asking me not for what they're in, but for how they could grow. And then they give you these wonderful gifts of how you can further develop yourself. And that's really, really powerful. Yeah, that is fantastic advice. Thank you for sharing that, Stephanie. In addition to all of the recognition you've been given for your your technical and leadership accomplishments, you've also been recognized for your community outreach, especially in the advancement of STEM education. Can you tell me a little bit about that advocacy? Oh my goodness. So as an accidental engineer, Rachel, I just believe we cannot have any more accidental engineers. We need to, we need people just yearning to get into this field. I I believe that because stumbling into the field has enriched my life and enriched my life in so many ways with the ability to make a difference. I just want that for other people. And if you look at where we are as a country in the United States, earlier this year, Bloomberg published a report on the world's most innovative countries. And I was really disappointed and I'll say devastated to learn that for the first time, the U.S. did not make the top 10 list. I think that is directly linked to the shortage of engineers that we are creating in this country. And so it is imperative that all of us, all of us engineers, but even if you're not an engineer, we tell our stories about the rewarding nature, the the fun that you can have as an engineering career. When I talk to young people, I tell them, I have worked for 30 years in this industry and I've never been bored. And I challenge them to go back and ask their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their cousins, that question, have you ever been bored? And I said, I bet you, if they're not engineers, some of them are going to say yes. So this is a career that is rewarding. It's exciting. You can do so many different things in it. And I think we've got to shout that from the rooftops. We've got to shout that from the rooftops to really close this gap, to get back on that list of uh, top 10 list for most innovative countries, to make sure that our nation maintains its competitive advantage because we have the technology and the, 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 uh, the beautiful minds to be able to continue that technology that differentiates us. This is even harder when it comes to women and people of color, because unfortunately, we are the least likely to major in these STEM careers, I should say, underrepresented people of color. And so if you think about it, women, Blacks, and Latinos are the fastest growing part of the U.S. workforce. Now, globally, it's a different perspective. But in the U.S. workforce, fastest growing part of the workforce and yet, we are the least likely to major. So we've got major in this, this STEM field. So we've got to change that dynamic. And we've got to help people to understand that I get the question a lot from women and people of color. Well, there are fewer of us than others. That might be true, but the numbers are growing. Representation is increasing. And you can be a part of that. So we, we have to shout from the rooftops. We have to tell our stories so people know the kind of experience that you can have 
as an engineer in the world. I love that so much. Telling our stories and talking about how much fun we can have in our careers, I certainly can really resonate with that. Can I add one thing though? Because I think that as a part of SWE, you have a lot of corporate sponsors, a lot of corporate participation. And there is, while I have a personal passion for it, I am grateful that I work for a company like Lockheed Martin, who also has a passion for it. And as corporations, we have an obligation, I believe, responsibility to ensure that we are doing our part to have that inspiration and to inspire our young people. So I'll just give you a couple of things that that we're doing in an effort to, again, maybe give some ideas to other folks about other companies, about what they might consider if they're not already doing it. So we have a STEM scholarship in Lockheed Martin, and we award $10,000 yearly scholarships to 200 STEM students who demonstrate a financial need and come from underrepresented groups or underserved communities. You know, and that's and it's really exciting. And in, in 2021, I'm proud to say that over 60% of our STEM recipients actually identified as an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Over 50% identify as women, and over 30% are first-generation college students. That's, those are amazing statistics. Yeah. Right. I get goosebumps when I hear that because we're making a difference. We do things like engineers in the classroom, where we really take our engineers. In the classroom, we even did it in COVID-19, Rachel. We didn't go there, but we had Zoom sessions and we did it uh, you know, we did it virtually to help make sure we were continuing to inspire. We do code quests where we have computer programming competitions for students. We partner with Project Lead the Way. We've got great partnerships with historically black colleges and universities and really minority-serving institutions, period. I'll give you just one more thing and, and then I'll stop. What, for, HBC, for the HBCU community, Lockheed Martin has been named the number one top supporter of HBCUs for the last seven years. And it's just the partnership and is, is amazing. And the quality of the candidates that we get to hire into our company from these minority serving institutions is amazing too. So we're just really proud of it. I'm so grateful that Lockheed Martin has this commitment to really create more engineers in the world. And obviously, Lockheed Martin is a really key contributor and sponsor to the Society of Women Engineers, and we are very appreciative of that. We're proud to be your partner. We love what you're doing. We love your mission. You do such, you reach so many people and inspire so many women and create so many connections. And so we are grateful for the partnership. Well, Stephanie, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. I think that there were so many valuable leadership and life lessons that we talked about today, the importance of being a representative of the engineering profession to those who might not have engineers in their lives so that they can see someone who can inspire them to become an engineer, your leadership principles and highlighting and bringing people along as we move through our careers and our leadership journeys and the critical importance of mentoring and advocacy. I, I think this has just been such an amazing conversation and really thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much, Rachel. And thank you for everything you do as you lead SWE. You're truly making a difference and we, we all appreciate it. 
One last question. If anyone is interested in getting in contact with you, I know you mentioned making those connections. Obviously, you'll be in Indianapolis at We21 in October, but is there a good way for them to connect with you before that? LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm in there, Stephanie Hill, Stephanie C. Hill. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm Rachel Morford. For all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Remember to head to we21.swe.org to learn more about and register for this year's conference. 